0: Good day. My name is Skye, and I appreciate you spending some study time with me. I'm here to help you make money in online poker by teaching you key strategies and getting you to take action. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yep, it is Thanksgiving Day tomorrow as of the date of this podcast release. So I want to wish all my fellow Americans Happy Thanksgiving and, of course, to the rest of the world. One thing I do want to say is that I owe all the success for Smart Poker Study and the Poker Ford to all of you who are listening right now. I really do appreciate your listening. I have such gratitude to each and every one of you. So thank you very much for being a Smart Poker Study podcast listener and happy Thanksgiving. So today's episode, five question Q&A. You're really going to like this one. Got some great answers to some awesome questions from poker peeps like you who listen to the show. Go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod465 to help you take notes. And while you're there, click on that Black Friday banner for The Poker Forge. We got 50% off in annual subscription to The Poker Forge. It's like paying just $29 per month. So go there right now, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod465, or go directly to thepokerforge.com. Okay, let's get to your questions And my answer's... Gambate! Woohoo! I'm a college man! I won't need my high school diploma anymore! I am too smart! I am too smart! I am too smart! I am too smart! I mean S M A R R T. Question number one is about tournament statistics analysis. And this is from an anonymous user on YouTube. This person says, I'm looking for quote-unquote optimal statistics to compare in my poker tracker four reports to help plug leaks in mtt's do you have any suggestions well thanks for this question now in cash games there are quite often optimal stats because we know what your average winner uh what how often they see bet how often they three bet, how often they fold to see bets all that jazz but for tournaments it's a different story there are truly no optimal win rates this is because of how the dynamics change in a tournament over the course of the tournament, whereas cash games, it's kind of static. Here are the dynamics that kind of affect how you play, how your opponents play in a tournament. You got changing stack sizes due to the the blind increases and antis increasing. You have the lead up to the bubble, the bubble itself, and the bubble burst. You also have the lead up to the final table and then, of course, final table play. There are also ICM considerations for those who think about that. There are different buy-ins, high buy-ins, like $50, $100 buy-ins, and there's the lower buy-ins, $3 and $5 buy-ins. If you play a combination of both, you might be a different player in the higher buy-ins versus the lower buy-ins, maybe due to the player pool that you're playing with, but also due to the money on the line. Maybe you're very tight and you play scared money in the higher buy-ins, but you're very loose and comfortable in the lower buy-ins. There are also different speeds, regular speed, turbo speed, hyper turbos as well. And there's different formats freeze outs, rebuys, bounties uh tournaments satellite tournaments, spin and go there's all in or fold even right there's so much stuff there's also six max, full ring, there's heads up, and lastly there's mtt versus sit and goes and if you're a sit and go player, there's tons of different styles of sit and goes too so there are no optimal stats for tournament play, but here's how I would recommend that a tournament player analyze their statistics and their win weights first. Analyze higher buy-ins versus the lower buy-ins, so separate those in your database. Also, separate sit-and-go play and multi-table tournament play as well. And then separate formats as necessary, and if you think about it, two very easy examples, bounty tournaments and satellite tournaments, you're probably a very different player in those two. Your opponents are different players in those two. So that's already a ton of different Formats or different groupings to be analyzing, which that's tough, but you got to figure out for yourself how how you can group the tournaments that you play together to give you some realistic numbers to be analyzing. Next, once you separate this out, you want to analyze your numbers in total without running any filters. But then you also have to filter for different starting stack sizes. And the reason why is because I'm sure you already know this, you play differently with different starting stacks. Think about how often you call preflop, you open raise, you three bet, you c-bet, you call c-bets, how often you face shoves at the different stack sizes. So you want to filter for different starting stacks, zero to 10 big blinds, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 50 big blinds, and then 50 big blinds and greater. So it's possible you might be looking at 10 different sets of numbers based on all the information I already said. But when you're analyzing your statistics, you want to ask yourself this question. If I saw this statistic on an opponent, how can I exploit it? If you can answer that with a super easy exploit, then you probably found a leak of your own. For example, maybe when you filter for 50 big blinds or greater, you find, you raise, and then call 3-bits 80% of the time. The win rate when doing that is negative 425 big blinds per 100 hands. So at 50 big blinds or more starting stacks, you found a leak. This is something you need to address when you run the same filter, maybe at 10 to 15, 15 to 20 big blinds, you don't have a leak right there. So yeah, you have a leak at that bigger stack size of calling three bets a little too liberally and then losing too much when you do so. So that's one thing that you definitely need to work on. Now, you also want to compare your statistics by starting stack with any kind of optimal cash game statistics that you find. And this could, of course, show you some possible areas of opportunity, because if there is a leak in a cash game, it's very likely that that's a a comparable leak in tournaments as well. Now, lastly, this is something very important to look at. No matter how you're looking at your games, how you're breaking them up, how you're running filters and going through statistics and win rates got to pay attention to ROI or return on investment and you're in the money percentages. So you might be a winning player at the lower buy-ins. Maybe you have a high ROI and a 25% in the money. Awesome. But at the higher buy-ins, maybe you have a negative ROI and you're only in the money 5% of the time. So there's an issue for you right there to nail down. Holy cow, I'm losing money in the higher buy-ins, making money in the lower buy-ins. What is going on right here? Is the player pool too strong for me? Am I playing scared money at the higher buy-ins? Or maybe I've played so few higher buy-in tournaments that that's kind of skewing the data. All right, so thanks for that question, Mr. Anonymous. Now, question number two, it's about minimum defense frequency. This one comes to us from Simon, and he says, here's my problem. If I call c-bets less than 66%, don't I give money to my opponents who c-bet half the pot on the flop? If I call 50% on the flop against a half-pot c-bet, then my opponents can exploit me and literally c-bet 100% of the time with any two cards because I fold too often. My conclusion is that I have to call at least 66% on the flop, otherwise I will be easily exploited. What do you think about that? Alrighty, Simon. Well, You're referring, just for the audience, you're referring to a minimum defense frequency or MDF. When you follow that MDF, the goal behind doing that is to not allow your opponents to easily exploit you with their bluffs. And all the math that you were saying was absolutely true right there versus half pop bets. If you don't want to be exploited by all their bluffs, you have to defend 67%. But here's the thing. A lot of people believe that a lot of coaches will teach that kind of stuff, but I believe it is not your job to make yourself unexploitable. So just because his bet breaks even 33% of the time doesn't mean you have to defend 67% of the time. Let's think about this. What if he's a value better? Of course, you don't know what he's holding at the time, but if you defend 67% versus his value range, you're probably just handing him money, theoretical money, because we haven't seen the turn or the river yet, right? Right. When you just use math to determine your decisions, it doesn't take into account your opponent's tendencies. And that's the biggest issue for me. What if you're against somebody who you look at their statistics and they C-bet 15% of the time on the flop over a large sample? Well, I would never try to defend 67% of the time versus a value C-better who only C-bets 15%. You don't want to do that. If you just look at the math, you ignore the player. So I believe it is your job to exploit each player to the maximum and let your statistics fall where they may. And that's something I covered in a recent podcast, number 460. See, I don't play for the long run. When I am playing a session, I am playing right now in this session, in this hand, on this table, against these players, or against this specific player in a hand, and I'm just trying to make the best decisions I can in the moment with all information available to me. And I let the long run and my statistics, they just take care of themselves. As long as I'm doing what I should be doing now, I don't care what that fold to see better or call C-bet percentage is. Let's imagine somebody else wanted to do what you were thinking about, and they're defending exactly 67% of the time, which means they're only folding 33%. How would you adjust to exploit this player? If somebody is defending 67% and only folding 33%, you would mostly value bet, so he would be theoretically over-defending versus your super strong value range, and you'd be printing money when you c-bet him. So I recommend that you defend with calls and raises versus the c-bet based on your read of the opponent's tendencies, the bet size, their position, uh, their range, and how it interacts with the board, and then let your defense statistics just fall where they may. Question three comes to us from AK, and it's about going pro in poker. This is what AK says. I'm an aspiring poker player who has been playing recreationally since 2020. I consider myself a break-even player, but I have faced losses primarily due to the rake structure they have for microstakes players. Now that I have built up enough of a bankroll to start playing NL50, I am interested in seeking assistance to improve my game and make the transition from a recreational player to a professional poker player. Can you help me with this? And thank you very much for the question, AK. But honestly, I can help you with studying, strategies for studying, and also strategies for analyzing your game, your statistics, your win rates, finding leaks, and all that kind of stuff. And I can give you strategies for getting profitable at the micro stakes, but I am not a coach for aspiring poker pros. I've never played as a pro, nor have I coached any pros, so I just wouldn't be a good fit. There are so many better coaches out there who are professional players as well. Those are the guys that you definitely should look up. But I do recommend four things for aspiring pros. Number one it's that you record your statistics and win rates every week so that you can analyze them and find your leaks. Whatever leaks you find, that's what you must be working on. The second recommendation Study and then practice everything you learned. That means if you learn a new strategy today, you want to not learn anything new until you've had a chance to practice that strategy in game over and over again through hundreds, if not thousands of hands, and then review a ton of hands related to that situation as well. You want to move on and learn something new when you've actually put in the time, you feel comfortable, you have a good grasp of that strategy, and you feel ready to move on and learn something new. My third recommendation, learn hand reading. If you don't already know it, AK, and anybody else, learn hand reading as soon as possible and do at least one hand reading exercise every single day. This is going to improve your study efficiency as well as it's going to make you a better in-game reader of your opponents and it's going to help you make plays that exploit your read on them. And the fourth recommendation... You said that you've built a bankroll and you actually said in your question, you want to go from a recreational player to a professional poker player. My guess is this means that you have a full-time job right now, or maybe part-time. Do not go pro and quit your day job until you take a week off and you see how playing full-time, how you enjoy it. Put in 40 to 60 hours, kind of what you imagine a pro would be putting in to playing online poker or live poker, if that's what you're playing as well. But put in that time, take a week off, see how you enjoy it. If you think it's right for you, it's probably a good indication that, hey, going pro could be the way to go. But if you hate that 40 hours, if you get to 30 hours that week and then you don't want to play anymore, then it's possible that going pro is not in the cards for you. This next question comes from Frank, and it's about adjusting to their adjustments. Here's what Frank says. Currently, I have a number of inquiries related to repeatedly using the fold-to-flop C-BET statistic of one of my opponents, which is currently at 90%. I want to make my opponent fold. However, he might catch on and adapt his gameplay. How should I navigate the situation, especially if he starts raising? Once my opponent adjusts his behavior due to my repeated use of the statistic, what's the value of the statistic? And lastly, considering the changing dynamics, how should I proceed? Should I continue using the stat and attempting to induce folds, or should I switch to a different strategy? So a lot of questions right there from Frank regarding adjusting, or potentially adjusting to their adjustments to you. Here's how you're going to adjust right now, Frank. Number one is to keep exploiting them until they adapt. So don't anticipate the adaption. Just keep going. This statistic at 90% folding to flop C-bet, that's a habit that they've ingrained into their game. Keep exploiting it as long as they are uh, giving in, repeating that habit and giving you the pots, right? Here's the thing though. once they, Once you get the sense that they're gonna start defending more, you can choose to not make those marginal bluffs. So for example... Let's say you open raised, and they called in the big blind. Heads up on the flop, you hold 9-7 suited, and the flop comes down, maybe ace-10-4, and you have no redraws to like a backdoor flush, and you barely have a backdoor straight draw, 9-7 on the ace-10-4. So go ahead and just check back with such a weak hand. If he checks the turn, maybe go ahead and now fire a bluff bet, because he showed weakness twice by checking out a position after you checked on that ace-high board on the flop the second answer to one of your questions, you would ask if how, what is the relevance? What is the importance of that st- statistic anymore? Now, the thing is that, that stat is still valuable, even if he does adapt, like I said, already a statistic over a large sample that shows his general tendency or his habits in that situation over whatever sample size you've seen that he has a habit of folding 90% to, to see bets. So he might adjust right now in game against you. But the thing about habits is that they're always going to re-emerge later this session or the next session. So continue to refer to that statistic and exploit it whenever you think that exploit is going to work. And then number three, count on his adjustment, but he probably won't just a full 180 degrees uh, and then become a 100% defender. So like I said originally, just be more judicious in your use of the strategy of bluff c-betting. If you don't think he's going to fold and you have a very, very low equity hand, just don't c-bet bluff. If he now suddenly defends every single time, then make a very simple switch. Just think about it. Ignore what his current statistic is. If he suddenly hates you and he hates your c-bets and he wants to defend every time, what should you do? Yeah, the answer is to only c-bet for value. He's not going to fold anymore, so just flip the script on him. Now you're only going to see bet for value. He's not going to defend. He's going to call. He's going to raise with weaker hands. Boom. You get his whole stack. All right. Last question comes to us from Ross. It's about free play poker. I was wondering if you had any tips on the types of things players should focus on who are playing exclusively free online poker. When there are no stakes whatsoever, other than the time you've spent on the table, you obviously encounter all sorts of types of players who have various approaches and motivations. To me, it makes it difficult to really come up with a game plan or strategy. What would you suggest I focus on? Great question, Ross. And I don't play free play poker, but here's what I would do I would focus on having a reason for every play that I make, and I would put them on a range when I'm making my play. So, for example, when you better raise, the only reason to better raise is to get them to fold or you want to earn value from weaker hands. So before you value bet, name hands in their range that can call and give you value. Before bluff betting, name hands that they have in their range that they can fold. So you're automatically, you have a reason for the play that you're making and you're thinking about their range of hands at the time. Before you call, make sure that you're calling because you have a hand ahead of their betting range. If you can name hands that he's betting that your hand is ahead of, you're good to go for calling. Also, if he bets small and you have a draw and you're getting a good price on a draw, go ahead and do the break-even math in your head and make the call. And maybe you see a way to bluff him later. You understand this player, he makes a lot of flop bluff bets, like Frank potentially, right? But you call him on the flop to bluff as soon as he checks the turn. And also, when you check... Make sure you think about, or, or think ahead. You're checking right now on this board. What is your opponent going to do? Is he going to check? I'm sorry, he's going to check behind? Is he going to bet? Whatever it is, have a plan before you check. You're going to check fold because his bet means this. You're going to check call because his bet means this, and I'm ahead of his range. Or you're going to check raise because I flop top set, and I think he's only value betting, so I'm going to get max value. Alrighty, thank you so much for listening today. Once again, go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod 465. And then while you're there, check out the Black Friday Poker Forge deal, 50% off an annual membership. It's like only paying $29 per month for an entire 12 months of crushing MicroStakes online poker cash game strategy and training. All right, once again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I appreciate you listening. And until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be.